was to be, was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high in glory, yes, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my lungs.
Good morning, guys. Why don't you get up on your feet? Let's find somebody and tell them good morning. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble. At your name, the oceans roar and tumble. At your name, angels will bow, the earth will rejoice. Your people cry out, Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the sky with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord, and your name. The morning breaks its glory And your name Creation sings your story And your name Angels will bow The earth will rejoice Your people cry morning, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to be talking in two minutes. Somebody's going to go, morning. <laughs> I love Carpenter's Way. Is this not the most beautiful place in the world to live the last 24 hours? I mean, the weather is great. If you have not gone out and, and fixed your jungle for Sunday, do it before it gets hot in an hour. But uh, good to see you this morning. I hope uh, you had a wonderful Easter and uh, Getting back into the groove of things. Uh, if you take your worship guides, I want to highlight some things in there. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome to Carpenter's Way. 
Uh, we are awfully, awfully glad to have you with us. I know we got people watching by way of internet, and we're honored that you would join us this morning. And uh, just as we get started, we are in the uh, we are a few weeks into the study of James right now, and uh, so you'll be with us there this morning. If you grab your Bibles, we want you to follow us there. Um, we are so glad you're with us, but let me just tell you, um, as much as we hope you like us, we want you to fall in love with Jesus. Uh, he is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And we gather together every week to celebrate what He has done on our behalf, and we're just glad you're here with us this morning. So thank you for being with us. Uh, it, it means a lot that you would, uh, you would and, and, and whether it's here one week or 50 weeks, we just want to encourage your walk with Him. So thanks. Uh, in your worship guide, you'll notice that we've got some things. We've got new members uh, in there that just came into membership. Excited to have them with us. Uh, we've got stu- stuff, children's uh, ministry camp information in here you want to be highlighted. Also, for those of you who are not aware, every Sunday night, Robert Grimes is uh, uh, leading a DVD series uh, for whoever would like to be a part uh, by Ray Vanderlaan called So the World May Know. If you've been at Carpenter's Way any number of weeks, you will know that we value context of uh, historical context as well as uh, biblical context of the text we're studying. And this uh, each week, basically, it's a 15 or 20 minute video. Uh, there's like 37, 38 of them that take you to a place in the Holy Land or, where the, or in Turkey area where the churches were uh, born, Ephesus and different places, and, uh, and show you uh, what was going on, takes you to the text. So it gives you a, a wider view on what's going on in the letters that we study in the New Testament as well as a lot in the Old. And uh, you, this, this is a unique study in that you can jump in when you're able and uh, you don't have to be here every week. You don't have to commit. Uh, this, I think this study is going to just keep going until people are bored of it. It's really a great video series. And uh, so this is every Sunday night at 5 p.m. And uh, like I said, it's led by Robert Grimes. I think it's about a 45 minutes to an hour long. How long do you go, Robert? It's an hour long. And which, which room are you meeting in? I don't want to inter- interrupt you and Daryl Douglas talking. I mean, it's just church. It's what I can, I, I mean, he's a pastor. <laughs> yeah. So is it your classroom? I'm, hold on. I'm getting a phone call right now. Just a second. Oh, it's Consolidated Communications. That's great. They, that's not, it's not Daryl. No, it might be. <laughs> no, he'd send a text message. Sorry. I don't usually get phone calls during the worship service. Um, okay, now I'm going to start getting them from people who are watching on the Internet. My brother has done that a few times. So uh, um, anyway, uh, if you have any questions, you can talk to Robert. So they meet, unless it gets too big, for this first hallway, first door to the right is where they meet. And look, it is, just come once and check it out, and you will, uh, you'll be impressed. This is something, we, we've done it in lots of different formats here. We've done them on Wednesday nights. There's some new ones to the series. But boy, if you're kind of, if you come on Sundays and we talk a lot about what's going on at the time of the writings, um, it's like, man, I don't know that stuff. Um, this is how you catch up, and, and, and you'll like it. It is not boring. So uh, enough on that. Uh, the other thing I want to announce is each year in April or early May, we have a men's event. We go out usually to Steve and Nancy Hicks' uh, lake house on Sam Rayburn, and uh, we eat good, and we do some shooting, and some people like uh, we play games, and, and uh, uh, some people like to bring their boat and, and go out on the lake. Um, that's what this is, and every guy is welcome and we'd love to have you join us. Uh, information you need, location is on the back. Uh, information is on there. On the uh, men's ministry table out there, we'd like you to sign up so we have an idea of how much. Jeff Reich is going to be uh, serving us food again. And, uh, but beyond that, it's going to be a wonderful time. So we just really encourage you guys. This is a way. Now, look, 
This is the way you get to know other people. Every once in a while, I hear somebody say, well, I, I haven't gotten to know anybody. Well, what do you do? I come on Sunday morning in the worship service. Well, except for Daryl and, uh, you know, I, I mean, Robert, nobody talks during the service except me. So this is how you build relationships. So, but but uh, this, is, this is just a really fun day. We, uh, we had the unique privilege of the Coke Company this year giving our actually – um, bringing us like 250 outdated cans of Coke, and we thought it would taste good. They tasted horrible. So we have those in a closet waiting to be shot at this event. We're going to shake them up, toss them, and blow them up. Yeah. Next year, we're going to do sticks of dynamite. So anyway, that's, uh, that's uh, there's, there's other stuff. Uh, Mother's Day Out has a yard sale coming up. Please be looking at that. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time to take our offering. If you are visiting with us, uh, we want to just tell you we're glad you're here. We do not want you distracted by money. Please don't give. This is uh, our our annual budget is a commitment made by those who attend here on a regular basis. And uh, if you're just visiting with us, if this is not your home church, please don't give. Uh, if it is your home church, uh, you know what happens. You know you know why we do this. So participate. That's part of our worship. So let's pray together, and then uh, we'll get back into worship and and into the Word. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful that you love us and. Uh, Lord Jesus, this morning we, uh, we ask you to speak to us. Um, as you have planted your Holy Spirit in your children, um, I pray that uh, we would hear from him. Uh, for those who don't know you, Lord, that may be in this room or watching on the Internet, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, the day that they understand that you died on the cross for their sins. And you love them so much that you're not holding against them what they have done, but uh, you put that on your son, and we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the week after Easter and uh, the life that you've given us through your spirit, the ministry, the tasks. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this church that we get to participate in and uh, the joy that we have. And, and uh, God, we pray that you continue to bless us. We thank you how you provide for us financially in other ways and, and with those volunteering. And uh, Lord Jesus, just meet with us today in a very special way. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, pull out my Bible here. Um, there's a passage in Psalm that's a... Uh, just kind of recently just been, I read through it, and it just, it, it's crazy. So I just want to read it to you, and um, just, just listen to this. Psalm 37, verse 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. 24, though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And the more I read that, the more crazy it sounds, because he's God, and we're us, but he delights in the details of your life, and that just, it kind of blows me away, and uh, so, uh, of course, what I do, you write a song about that, and so, uh, if you guys, uh, you, you know, it's going to be new to you. If, you, if you catch on, please jump in with us, it's called I Stand in Your Grace. shelter in you my God and then you give me rest you are my refuge and my safe place my strength is in your name though I stumble I never will fall 
This is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We, s when we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin 
so that we could be made right with God through Christ.
Let's pray together. Father, uh, we talk about it so often uh, that it's easy for us to forget just how marvelous your grace is. When we, uh, when we live as fairly clean people, and we're not murderers or thieves on a big level, when we tell the truth most of the time, we start thinking that we don't need that much grace. Boy, are we wrong. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would help us to live thankful lives. Just people who are thankful for what you've done for us and your mercy and your grace. We do love you, Lord. We just struggle with surrendering. It's hard to trust you when we can't see you every day. And so I pray this morning as we uh, get into this text a little more, you would help us. Father, uh, understand that even when we can't see you, we can still hear you and be moved by you. And I ask you to, uh, to change us where we need to be changed today. In your holy name we pray, amen. I love Easter, uh, but man, it breaks up our study. And in a book like James, uh, that was actually, could be argued, was supposed to be simply read in one setting like a sermon, uh, it's easy to lose a context. And in a, um, as I'm mentioning, in a, book like, in a book like James, context is everything. When, when taken within its context, um, it's, not hard, it's not hard to realize that James, who's probably Jesus' half-brother, um, what he was teaching us. Because much of modern Bible study is uh, breaking things apart, a little section of Scripture, a, little, a verse here, a verse there, it's really, really easy to take the book of James and think that it's teaching work salvation or you can lose your salvation if you don't do enough. But within its context, um, that's just simply not a possibility. In fact, in James 1.1, James identifies who he's actually writing to. He says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. In the very first verse, he identifies who he's writing to, and at least in another, at least another 12 times, in five chapters, he refers to them as brothers and sisters, the faithful. It is clear that this is not a book on how to be saved. It's huge to understand this. This is not how to get saved, folks. It's written to those who are already saved, specifically Jewish Christians at this time, and to us that unfortunately have our loyalties divided naturally by God and the world. A group of believers that are struggling with, and what he does in this, in this short letter is he actually makes a case using examples from our lives to prove that our, our hearts are divided. In our prior study of James 1, we were told that as God's kids who are completely committed to our daddy and his plans for our world, that we should find joy in the troubles we face in this life because our daddy is maturing us and he's working around us. That when we struggle with this, we should then go to God for wisdom. <clears throat> but there's a warning with this prayer. When we go to God seeking wisdom, James 1.6 says this, When you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with a divided loyalty is unsettled as the wave of a sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. James continues in this line of thinking by saying that that is why so many of us have not received the blessings of God's presence. God doesn't bless those with a divided heart. And that doesn't mean salvation blessing. It means the blessings of, the, of his presence, of the Holy Spirit. Things like, like peace and joy and hope. 
or the abundant life Jesus talked about. When troubles come our way, if we have a divided heart, we don't have peace because we actually are praying for what we want without any concern for what God may be doing. One of the things we don't talk a lot about in the church, and I think we should just address face on, is the fact that most of us don't want God to be God. We want him to be our grandfather. We want him to be our doctor. We want him to be our boss that never stops paying us whether we work or not. Most of us want God to be a benevolent old man sitting in the back of our lives. When we need him, we call him up. And that's having a divided heart. And most of us also, ironically enough, can't figure out why we don't have the peace that Scripture seems to promise or the joy that we are promised or even, even patience. And I think the book of James actually answers why that is. It's because, and that's why he goes into all these things, our loyalty is divided. Look at James 1.7. The person who prays with a divided loyalty, verse 6, in verse 7 it says, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. I remember a few years back uh, being at a conference with a health and wealth doctrine teacher, and we were alone having coffee. And I said, let me ask you something. And his whole, his whole message was about how his wife that day got, went to the doctor and has had cancer for years, and the doctor declared her clean. It was miraculous. And I said, I, I want to put away all doctrinal debate and everything. I just have one question. What would you have preached tonight? What would have been your main thing if you went to the doctor and found out she still had cancer after believing by faith God was going to heal her? He said, I would have ignored it. That's what we do in the church. We make claims that we can't make based upon our flesh and our pride that God may not be interested in, in having happen. And then when it doesn't work out the way we've been preaching it worked out, we just ignore it. As if this isn't true or truth isn't available. And I want you to know, as sheep, if you'll allow me to say that, is that truth can be known. And there are consistent absolutes throughout Scripture from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. The problem is you're not taught those. Everything is slanted to make you feel better, just like in the political system. If you, like, if you want a God who heals you every time, you go to a Pentecostal church. If you've been hurt by that and you want doctrine, deep doctrine, the deep truths of the faith, and conservative music. You go to a Baptist church. And the problem is that even the Baptist church claims things that aren't necessarily true. For instance, you don't get saved by walking an aisle or being baptized. You get saved by realizing you're a sinner and by faith trusting that God promised to take that away. And, and just because you walk an aisle at four years old doesn't mean you really believe that. It just means that it was the most convenient thing to do at a moment and your emotions were moved. The reality is this is true. This is real. God is real, and His Holy Spirit is real, and the transformation is real, and it's practical. This is a practical faith. This is a transforming faith. And the problem is, is that for many of us, we've been taught and we've bought into this piecemeal Christianity, where if you're depressed, you buy a Christian book on depression, and the five easy steps, and, and then... Then you try to work through it by those five easy steps and you sort of say, yeah, I'm doing better. But the reality is you're not doing better because what you've done is you've, you've taken a self-help idea and you put a fish on it and you sort of assume. We, we never even ask ourselves the question, what if God wants to work through you depressed? Ask Elijah what that's like. After he calls down fire from heaven, he goes and sits by himself after the king and queen say, let's kill him. He sits by himself for 40 days and doesn't eat by a river. God has to force feed him. That's depression, my friends. 
And how about Paul's words, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I long to go be home. That's, if somebody said that to you, you'd wonder if they were on medication or you would suggest some. The fact is that this life is hard. And we are constantly, as God's kids, fighting the desire of our flesh versus knowing that God is good and has a plan that may not be for our betterment. Ask Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death for the work of the ministry. Or Jonah, who didn't like Ninevites, tried to run from God, but did end up where God wanted him because that's what God does. You sang a minute ago, that, or you heard, uh, you heard the scripture read that, that, that we are God's workmanship. We are created for a new task. There is work for us to do, my friends. There's work for us to do. And it is in that work, completely surrendered, with a surrendered heart, that there's peace and joy and the abundant life in your poverty, in your cancer diagnosis, in the difficulty of not making enough money. There is joy because God becomes your joy. And that's what this text is talking about. From beginning to end, it's, 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 he's making a case for believers with a divided heart. This explains why so many deacons and churches are miserable and grumpy. And they are. That's why in the middle of a service, they'll leave and go drink coffee because really the service has nothing for them either. The truth is, we've walked away from what God's transforming power can and desires to do in our life because that is the choice of the child of God you can quench the spirit you can say I don't want to pick up my cross and follow you and from what I know of scripture you can still be saved and do that you're just going to reap the benefits of that and that is a miserable life that's divided in your heart unsettled in all your ways like a ship tossed on the sea it's such a perfect description when we don't get what we pray for in the exact way we pray for it, we often get angry and we question God's presence because we're miserable on top of being frustrated. In James 1.12, he says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We are exhorted to put more value and treasure in God and his wealth in the next life. Throughout the scripture, this isn't new. David said these words, put your hope in God. To Peter, who tells us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, the child of God battles hard with making sure that he or she remembers that at the moment of salvation, our position in God's family is secure. And our role here is as ambassadors of our daddy's kingdom. And to remember that our wealth is being stored up for us there while we are here. We must choose to be about the family business as opposed to be about what we want. And that's hard. But you do it every day. I wonder if I went around this room in an honest moment and asked how many of you would work at the job you work at if it wasn't for a payday at the end of the week that allows you to party with your family. I mean, the truth is we are here to work. Not a carpenter's way, but for the kingdom. So that when the weekend comes, we can enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, where our wealth is stored up. It's not inconsistent, but we just want it all. I want it all. And I'm not yelling at you. I have the same problem. I want it all. I want then and now. I want a good, comfortable life here, and I want a great, awesome life there. The problem is that I'm called to something different. We're exhorted to put our hope and our trust and our treasure in God and His kingdom there. Remember this, I've made reference to it a couple times in 2 Corinthians 5. It was on the board earlier. But I want you to think about this verse. 
Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. Pause for a second. Can you, Bill, can you go back one slide? Just think about that. I mean, if we really, really walked, went around the room and we really looked in the deep place of our heart, we'd go, yeah, well, I, I, I know that says that, but I don't really live like that. I mean, look at that. We also believe, not only do we believe Christ died for our sins, first line. Second, we also believe that we have died to our old life. Yes, I no longer look at porn. Good for you. Well, what about the porn of self-righteousness? What about the porn of what I want? What about the porn of the Dallas Cowboys winning the Super Bowl? The level of our joy being determined by our circumstance. What about the, what about the level of joy we think we're going to get if a Republican person gets in office or a Democrat, whichever... Uh, aisle. We keep thinking that this world can satisfy our flesh. And when I say we, I'm not yelling at you. I'm saying, what is wrong with me? Why do I keep thinking that the same people who lie to me all the time at some point will stop lying and everything will be great? When God who has never lied at me promises it will get great even if it's bad now. Afterward, I'm going to receive the crown of life, but I need to patiently endure testing and temptation. Okay, I'm, I'm not there. Back at 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 15, he, Christ, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, so that, so that they will no longer live for themselves. Ouch. Well, who do you want me to live for? Don't ask that question. I want you to live for me, Jonah. Oh, I would never get on a boat and go the opposite way. Don't we every day? Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has now given us the task of reconciling people to himself. God, what do you want from me now that I'm saved? I want you to fulfill your task. What's your task? Reconciling people to God. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, here it is. Summary statement. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. Come on. You can enjoy your life. You can, you can trouble, trial, tribulation. You can find peace with God. And you can go home and inherit a kingdom all because God's mercy. You can be his child. When these Jews, when we accepted Christ's offer to save us, when we repented of our sin and made Jesus our leader, which is what we did at salvation, when we said that we would allow his daddy to adopt us and make him our daddy, then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 happened. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? I just want to point out that that given word there could also mean planted. That'll come up handy in a few moments. You don't belong to yourself. <laughs> That's a fact. You, we may pretend like we do, just like some of your kids pretend like you're not their parents. We do that with God. We go around and we act like the world because we're pretending God's not our daddy. I mean, God bought you with a high price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. Well, who do I belong to? Good question. God. You're his property. He paid for you. So you must honor God with your body. And I assure those of you who grew up like I did in the church, that has nothing to do with smoking cigarettes. 
That was what I was taught. Oh, this is about not smoking. Really? This is about living, serving, surrendering. It's about so much more than cigarettes and porn. It's about God and, and who owns you and who guides you and who directs you and who you trust. You see, at the moment of our salvation, we became the place that the Holy Spirit dwells in. Now, put your mind around this for a second. At the moment of salvation, God planted the Holy Spirit in you. You literally became the temple of God's Spirit, the third person of the Trinity equal with the other two. You are the temple. Now picture this. As you walk through the world, whether you proclaim salvation or Jesus Christ or not, you are the place where God resides and people should come to you to talk to your daddy. You're the temple. You're the place people pray. You're the place people hear from God. The Spirit resides in you. The problem is we continually battle with the tension of being a citizen of our daddy's kingdom, of being the temple of the Holy Spirit and planet Earth, of being the temple of the place that I get what I want. We struggle to make sure that we remember our real identity is now with God in heaven. Actually, most of us don't struggle with that. Oh, that, that, was, that was a quiet moment. Boy, this room got quiet there. And the truth is most of us have just gone, it's just too hard and I'll never measure up. I'm just a human. What do you want me to do? Come on. Lighten up, pastor. You're not usually like this. I'm not. James is. <laughs> I know. I struggle with it, too. I want the perfect flock. I'm stuck with you. <laughs> you want the perfect pastor. You're stuck with me. I mean, the reality is I want the perfect job. You're stuck with your job. You want the perfect spouse. A week after you got married, you found out false advertising does work. I mean, it is what it is. This is life. And it's rough. We're listening to politicians lie about themselves, things that we know aren't true, to see whose lie is more palatable, and then we'll vote for them, and then we'll act like we're disappointed when they don't follow through. The, the reality is we live in a culture that constantly lies to itself, and there is one person in life that shouldn't be lying to himself, and that's the child of God. You are forgiven for your unfaithfulness. And Romans says that when we, don't, we break our promises, God never breaks his promise. God is faithful in ways we will never be faithful. He loves us in ways our daddy never loved us on this earth. He will never walk away from you, but you certainly can't walk away from him because you're, well, he's a gentleman and he's waiting for you to realize that his ways are better. But it is hard. And because of that, that's basically chapter uh, 1, 1 through 18. Because of that, he picks up in verse 19 through 21. And if you stick with me here this morning, you're going to learn that I learned some new things this week about this text that I, I just never saw before. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. So when, when, when James says that, it's like, okay, all that cool stuff I've set up to this point. Now understand this. I've got to get this around you. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to, anger, to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. The fact is, and, and it's like, oh, okay, now we're getting into anger. Let me just say at the beginning that I don't think this has anything to do with your temperament. That's an illustration that we all struggle with, but let's get into it. The reason we get angry, the reason we talk so much rather than listen well, and I know because I talk a lot, the reason we want to argue our way out of every situation that seems unfair to us, the reason we allow filth, whether it's you know, dirty or offensive talk or bad-mouthing people or gossip or corrupt, uh, cor corrupt behavior or arrogance or verbal porn, the reason we allow these things we know are wrong in our lives is because we have a divided loyalty. That's why we do it. I don't deserve this, so I'm going to tell you off. I'm paying $5.99 for a Tuesday lunch meal at Applebee's. How dare you not have iced tea on my desk every time I'm thirsty? We get mad. I can't believe that I got pulled over for that cop. I was only going 70 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, and he's never there. Oh, 
This just fits my bad day. Shouldn't have been speeding. Well, he had a bad attitude. Every time I'm pulled over, and by the way, I've never gotten a ticket in my life, but I've been pulled over plenty of times. What you do is you unbutton your top button. Just kidding. Somebody thought that was really funny. Just kidding. That's not what you do. But you know what? Every time I get pulled over, the cop starts with the same question. And we've got a few in this room. Do you know why I pulled you over? <sighs> I don't have time for this. Just tell me. Let's get this done. It's not his fault. It's his job. But we, we, and then we get on Facebook and we say, oh, what a lousy day I've had. I want to go back to bed. That cop pulled me over. Well, you were going 150 miles an hour. But, but we all kind of buy into it. The teenager who's mad that the teacher actually had an exam on the core issues of the class. <sighs> I hate this prof. He gives exams. Well, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. How about through today's culture of free-thinking campuses where you can't in chalk write a, write a candidate's name on the ground without some guy need counseling? Yes, you do, but not for what you think. It's insanity what's going on around us, and the church is doing the same things. This is not our world. Are you really that shocked at gay marriage? Are you really that surprised that Hollywood is Hollywood, and New York is New York, and Austin is Austin, and Lovkin is Lovkin? Are we really that surprised? You're living a lie. Well, I don't want it that way. Nobody wants it that way. That's why God created heaven after we screwed it up. That's what heaven is, where the old order of things is done away with, but we keep trying to make heaven on earth, and that is not our task. We just learned that our task was to tell people that they can be right with God. That's our task. It wasn't to save a culture or a country or to wave the flag or fight for democracy. It was to tell people that God is gracious to communists and pedophiles and black people, and white people, and illegal Mexicans, and illegal Japanese and Chinese people. He loves them. And it's a good thing. Because if he doesn't love them, he doesn't love you. You may be cleaner and whiter, but you're not more moral and more righteous. You're just better at it. It's still a lie when you tell somebody whose hair looks really, really bad that it looks really, really good. It's still a lie. Well, what am I supposed to do? You point and go, that's a haircut. And they go, I know, I just love it, don't you? It's a haircut, that's for darn sure. Hey, how about them bears? <laughs> it's a struggle. But we, we shave the edges, and you know, Scripture clearly teaches if you've bro broken one rule of the law, you've broken them all. But again, we sort of go, yeah. But I'm like, I just looked at a Playboy magazine. I have never committed adultery. That's not what Jesus taught. In this culture, it's okay for a woman to look at a guy at a movie, but if guys look at a woman, they get slapped by their spouse. Lust is lust. Sin is sin. It's offensive. And if your sin's been forgiven, then your sin has been forgiven no matter what your struggles are. The question is, who owns your attention? Who and what are you living for? In James 1.21, he goes on. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. Well, how do I do that? I'm just human, James. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. I know what you're thinking, maybe, some of you. Maybe I don't know what you're thinking. I'm going to assume that some of you are thinking, oh, that Bible, 
That's the word. So James wants me to be in the Bible so I can change. But let me just tell you that that's not what I think he's saying. I, I, uh, I want to slow down and I want to notice something here. What it says is humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it is the power to save your souls. I don't think this is referring to the written word of God. This is referring to the Holy Spirit that was planted in you, within you at the moment of your salvation. The written word was not planted in you or you wouldn't need to read the Bible. You know, Jesus Christ is called the word in John chapter 1. Actually, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is referred to the very breath of God. That's the same word we get uh, inspiration from. Peter refers to the men who wrote the scriptures as men who were filled with God, and it talks about the Holy Spirit doing that filling. In Ephesians 1, it tells us that when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The word giving there is, uh, is another word that could have been planted. He planted Him within you. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. In Romans 8, 9 through 11, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of your sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, oh, the Spirit of salvation. So who raised Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit. So now we have the power of salvation, of resurrection. He lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus, or Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Romans 8, 14 to 18. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This, the, the, the phrase that James uses in James 1.21 says that this word that should guide your lives was planted inside of you. The Greek word for that is an intentional sowing. It's, it's putting a seed. It is an act of God inside of you. The word James is referring to here, in my humble opinion, that has the power to save you daily from your own natural desires, from your own natural filth from, uh, to save you, not just from hell, but also from yourself. Look, one of the things in the church that we forget to talk about, and I don't talk about a lot, and I need to talk about more, is there are actually three steps to your salvation. The first step of salvation is the day you accept his offer to forgive your sin. That's called justification. At the moment of salvation, you are declared right with God. That will never be taken away from you. At that moment, the Holy Spirit lives inside you as a guarantee of your internally, in, in, eternal life. The second phase is sanctification. It's walking on this dirt in a dirty body with the Holy Spirit in us and transforming our flesh to, to live the truth. That's the battle we face as the children of God. The third phase is glorification. When we're dead and we go home, it's done. That's ultimate salvation. But it's the second one that I believe he's referring to here. The power that God has to save you is to keep you from blowing your flesh up. You see, God willing, as a result of this morning's message, you will walk out of here going, I got saved today. I thought you got saved at 7. I did, but I got saved again today. Oh, so you need to be resaved? Yes, every two minutes. Not from hell, but from me. That's part of the discussion that's missing. You realize that God never walks away from you. He guarantees what you, the promises you can't keep. He has saved you permanently. This is not about salvation anymore. This letter isn't about salvation. It's about actually being saved from yourself. 
being saved from your flesh. Drinking is not a sin, but if you don't want to become an alcoholic, don't start drinking. Just don't start. If you can do it and not become an alcoholic, it's not a sin. I I don't think it's advisable for a male believer to be ministering in strip joints. It's not wise. Maybe women it is, but not men. We, we, We have been given the Holy Spirit, the Word of God in us that guides us and directs us. And He can save us from what? Everything. You see, you're going to have to live out your years here. For some of us, it'll be longer, and for some of us, it'll be shorter. But if you are not experiencing the ongoing sanctifying salvation of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to screw it up, which is why a lot of us in this room are divorced. Don't say that, Pastor. My husband was a jerk. He probably was. He probably was. But you know, it takes two to tango. Well, you don't know. He had affairs. I'm going to stop here especially since I'm having this conversation with myself. That's kind of strange. But the fact is, my friends, that the Holy Spirit living within us, if we will be slow to speak, quick to hear. What if that verse isn't talking about quick to hear the person you're about to argue with? What if it isn't even about communicating with other people in the first place? What if the fact is I get ticked off every time I get bad service at Applebee's, and what if God's saying, keep your mouth shut and listen to me as I guide you and direct you? What if the question for the waitress isn't, why haven't I had more tea today? What if it's, how can I pray for you? What if the word planted in me isn't memorizing the Bible, but it's listening to the Holy Spirit, learning to shut up, Mark? You talk too much. I mean, what if that's what this text is about? Well, I don't want to do that. It feels good to tell people off, does it? How's it feel an hour later? Well, they had it coming. That wasn't the question. What you have coming isn't coming to you. Remember that little part of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? You see, if if our task in this life is to be ambassadors, then everything we do reflects on our kingdom and our daddy. What if Sunday wasn't the worst day for waiters and waitresses in Angelina County, but was a great day because Christians who are reminded of the great gift God has received them actually love on the wait staff at the local restaurants? What if we tipped more when the service was bad? I know, the service would get worse. Just a thought. What if the word that was planted in you is the Holy Spirit, and if we listen to Him more than we talk. What if he would save us from our flesh? Verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all filth and evil, to, evil in your lives. I want to I tell you my thought on that last line. I don't think what he's doing is get rid of porn and your bad-mouthing and your bad language. I think it's a summary statement. Filth is filth. Filth can be given out with a smile on your face. You can tell somebody off kindly and still be telling them off. Filth is just dirt. What if he's telling us to stop talking, stop vomiting filth, and listen to the Holy Spirit guide and direct us every day of every moment of every second we live? as his purchased kids 
and ambassadors in a life that's going to have trouble. Well, what do I do when it hurts? Consider it joy. That's too hard for me. Go to God. He said, come to me if you lack wisdom. But a warning, don't come to me with your own agenda. Isn't that what we do? Dear God, where should we go to lunch? How do I make more money so I can have the bigger house? How can I make my kids behave the way I want them to behave? Instead of God, transform my children into the people you want them to be and help me be a catalyst for that. How dare they talk to me like that? You're right. That's offensive. But what if self-destruction is the pathway by which God redeems them? What if the worst thing in this culture isn't gay marriage, it's Christians who don't care enough about the souls of homosexuals? What if God wants to take this country down in a prophetic way so that he could raise up the church that we've been praying for for 40 years? I mean, what if God is going to make us uncomfortable so that his kingdom will be glorified in the lives of the true believers in this culture? You don't have such a problem in persecuted countries with a half-hearted Christianity. You don't have that struggle. Why would somebody die for something they don't really, really believe in? Pay attention how you read this because it's really important. The sentence he's talking about when it says get rid of all filth and all evil isn't a new exhortation. It's kind of a summary of, of the list of things he's been talking about. Everything else we as God kids do that we know we shouldn't be doing. He's saying stop living in your sinful flesh and reacting by the seat of your dirty pants. Rather, listen and accept the word God has planted in you. Be honest with yourself. The truth is, let's be honest this morning. When you lust, you know you're lusting, and you know you shouldn't be doing it. That's God's word in you. When you lie, you know you shouldn't be lying. It's God's word in you saying, knock it off. Don't go here. When you lose control and you blow up, it's not long after that you realize how stupid you were being and how out of control you are, but I'm not going to apologize. I wasn't the one in the wrong. That's God's word in you saying, knock it off. Humble yourself like I did. Make it right. When you give in to temptation and you know you're being tempted, slow down and listen to the voice and the words and the direction from our daddy whose spirit lives within us. Too often when confronted with our filth or sin as believers who know we're saved, we simply reply with, well, what does God want me to do? I'm only human. Well, James even answered that question here. Look at the very next verse, 22. You can read it for yourself. You're big boys and girls. I couldn't have written a better verse if I wanted to make this point. You see, the problem is that most of us in this room, I actually, I want to say all of the believers, you know when you've lusted. You know when you've lied. You know when you've blown it and you shouldn't have with your spouse or your neighbor or your friend or whatever or your boss. You know when you're mad and you shouldn't be mad. And most of us try to spend the rest of our day feeling better about the fact that we did those things instead of actually listening to the Holy Spirit, the Word of God in us, going, make it right. By fooling yourself, it's not saying that you're not a believer when you think you are. What he's saying is you think you're spiritually healthy and you're not. How do you know? What do you do when God prompts you? What do you do? Don't just listen to God's Word. Do what it says. 
You're only fooling yourselves, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what it looks like. Okay, I'm about to offend somebody in this room, but I'm going to be sexist that's probably generally accurate. Uh, psychology Wasting Money has done a survey on whether men or women in department stores look at themselves in the mirror more. Men do. But then they pointed out in the research an, an interesting, an interesting uh, next, next piece of information. And that is when a man looks at himself in the mirror, he looks himself up and down and he laughs and walks on. When a woman looks at herself in a her mirror, she walks up to the mirror and goes, or, or whatever she needs to fix. Because when a man looks in the mirror, especially with other guys, he's like, <laughs> I look like crap today. <laughs> Dude, you do. And you stink too. I know. <laughs> Sorry about that. When a woman looks in a mirror, she adjusts and fixes her hair. Because she sees a flaw and fixes it. You know what he's saying here. Be like a woman. When you look in the mirror and you see a problem, change it. Unfortunately, most of us are like men, and we go around going, <laughs> I really I blew that. I tell you what, that cop pulled me over, and I told him off. It was funny. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> and then we go on feeling better because we had somebody else in communion with us that agreed that they too are that stupid. Do you get it? It's not for unsaved people. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're watching on the internet and you're going, I'll never do that. That's because you don't have the Spirit of God in you. You don't have His Word. You may not feel guilty about anything or, or, or a prompting of the Holy Spirit when you're doing something you shouldn't do. But we're not talking to you. This isn't for you. Your thing is getting saved from hell, from God's condemnation. This is for God's kids. You wonder why we don't have joy? Because we're living a lie, a divided heart. We want God and all that offers and the world, and you can't have both. You can't have both. You cannot have a good, you cannot have a good marriage and a girlfriend. Or a boyfriend. You laughed uncomfortably because you know I'm right, and people are doing it all over the place. You want a good marriage? Invest in your marriage. Look in the mirror. Take the lipstick off your teeth. Take a look. Don't just go, <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> I need more tea. Verse 27. Actually, I jumped some. I'm, I think I'm on 25, right, Bill? You have to help me. So, yeah, let's go to 25. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, how weird is that? The perfect law that sets you free, you know why it sets you free? Because you don't have to destroy yourself. The word of God in you for salvation, you're already saved. This is to brothers and sisters. This is to the believers. You know, God's way can save you from pain in this life, adding self-inflicted wounds. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Peace, joy, hope. Verse 26, but if you claim to be religious, and that word religious could have been pious, 
If you claim to be religious or pious, but you don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your piety or your religion is worthless. He's not saying you're unsaved. He's saying you're just a big talker, like me shooting a shotgun. Let me tell you, a few years ago when I was in Michigan, I had an FBI agent in our church, and we had a men's event, and I hadn't picked up a shotgun since high school, and this was probably seven, eight years later. And uh, we went to this event, and he had a riot gun. We shot skeet, and I hit every one of them 36 times. I put the gun down and never picked it up again while I was there. Then I came to East Texas, and I bought a shotgun, and I can't hit nothing with it. And everybody's laughing about it. Um, my aim is worthless. I can, put, I can put the gear on and I can color my face. My son and I went three seasons. We had a lease and we used to go hunting. We never killed anything. And it's not that we didn't see anything. It's that we would start giggling or there were smells coming out of our little tent. And the deer has better smell. They would run off. So we would come home and tell Julie and Annie how many deer butts we saw because <laughs> that's what we saw. We looked it. We just were lousy at it. And the truth is we enjoyed what we were doing, so we didn't try to improve. There's a lot of Christians in the same way. I got saved, but I don't have the joy of God. God, give me joy. We want an end run. Do you want joy? Get rid of the divided heart. Put all your eggs in his basket. Well, what if he doesn't get me what I want? Isn't that the problem? What if I don't survive my cancer? What if they have to lop off a leg? What if? Then you're, not divi then you're divided. Because what we do is we go to God and negotiate. I want you, your way, and happiness. And that didn't work out for Jesus, did it? Take this cup for me. No. Okay. Your way, not mine. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion or piety in the sight of God means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let me just say here that James is not telling you here that God blesses those who care for orphans and widows. You don't get a blessing by work. He is telling you that God blesses his children when they listen to the word planted in them. They live undivided and their lives are guided and directed. And, and if he wants you to minister to widows and orphans, you minister to widows and orphans or you work in a prison or you whatever, whatever he asks you to do. You, you minister in a way. I've had people in this church because I talk about homosexuality a lot. I started when I came to Carpenter's Way talking about alcohol because we were in the, in the moist county and it was wet and dry. And then that got old and boring. So now I talk about homosexuality all the time. And, and I'll stop soon when I quit hearing from people, I could never minister to gays. Then you're not in the business. You don't get to choose who you minister to, Jonah. You don't get to choose that. Oh, yes, I do. Then don't ask why you're miserable. You can't have it all. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. Well, nobody told me this when I got saved. You can choose hell if you want. I mean, this is really, it works out really good, by the way. But we have to believe that God is better than us. That he's got the plan. That he's worthy of our trust. And it relates to your tongue. It relates to how you treat people. It relates to what you do in secret. It relates to how you... This, this Holy Spirit, the word in you, affects how you treat orphans and widows. 
you're not saved by works. But this is a practical, amazing salvation that works change in and through you, even if it costs you temporarily. Galatians 5.25. Lord Jesus, help us to listen to the word that's been planted in us. And may we follow you, even if it leads to our death. Because then we win. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.